This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. benefits of having conferences that we have some guests that come in to be part of the weekend and this weekend we had one very special guest that we brought in to actually minister to our leadership collective now our leadership collective is designed uh, for the leaders in our church but then also we had over 30 youth pastors and youth leaders come in um, just for a time because we we think it's really important to invest into leaders in the church and so we actually have um, Pastor Mark Pettis with us this morning. Now, he is the president of Highlands Bible College in Birmingham, Alabama. And we are really honored to have him with us this morning. A couple things that I would say about Mark. He's a really good dad, and I've seen that in action Uh, this weekend. He brought one of his sons with him, and then he's a southern gentleman. You know what I'm talking about? You've seen this is a southern gentleman, and then he's just a really, really good guy. And so we just want to welcome him. Let's give him a city church welcome this morning, Pastor Mark. What's up, everybody? Oh, come on, let's clap for Jesus this morning. You got more than that, and you come on, your best praise for Jesus. And uh, I've never been called a Southern gentleman. I'm going to have to live up to that, um, but I received that. Hey, do you guys love Pastor Brent and Nicole? Aren't they amazing? Can y'all give it up for your pastors? And it is uh, truly an honor to be here. I am from the great state of Alabama, sweet home Alabama. And uh, it's a little different in Alabama than Canada. So I've heard about this sport. It's called hockey. You guys have? And uh, we, we don't have much of that down in Alabama. In fact, it was 103 degrees when I left Alabama. And I am so glad to be in Canada right now. And this beautiful weather and the trees are, are changing. It feels like fall. And it's actually our second year here. Last year we were here a part of conference. But the first time we've gotten to stay over and be a part of Sunday. And can I just tell you, you have a phenomenal church. And I, I hope you know that. I think, I think sometimes when we live in the water, we forget that we're wet, right? And when we're around things, we can get so familiar with them. But this is truly an amazing church. And you are led by incredible pastors. And the thing that I feel last year and then this year as well is just the spirit of this church. There's just such a young spirit to it. Come on, everybody. No matter what your age is, you can still be young. You know that, right? And it just, I sense that as great as things have been, and they have been amazing, that the best is yet to come. Can I get an amen this morning? That's what I believe, and I'm honored to see it. And just having a whole lot of a whole a whole lot of fun being up here. I brought a picture of my family just to, to let you guys kind of see who uh, I am. Here is uh, my beautiful wife Jill, and that's right. Count on we have four boys, everybody. Four boys. So Landon there in the red, in the, kind of in the back. He's 11 years old. Judah's our second born in the blue. Owen, who is here, he's going to be part of the next service. He couldn't double dip this morning. He only, he's only one service. He's seven years old. And then that little one up that I'm holding right there, his name is Knox. Can y'all pray for Knox, please? I don't know if you guys have been around a family or maybe you're part of a bigger family. That last child, that caboose can be a little crazy. And so we're, we're really praying for Knox. He's a wild one. He just, he just leaves a path of destruction wherever he goes. Um, but he's amazing. But uh, just pray for my wife as well. Four boys is, is, is difficult. You know, it's, it's challenging. There's nothing, you can never have anything nice with four boys. Everything's going to get broken. And uh, we, we kept, people say, why four boys? We're like, God did that. We didn't, we didn't. We kept trying to have a girl, and it just kept being boys, and so eventually we just tapped out. We're done, and so um, that, that's our family. We serve an amazing church, as Pastor Brent mentioned, uh, there in Birmingham uh, called Church of the Highlands. We have 22 campuses, in fact, all across the state of Alabama, 
and really seeing God do a miracle there. And I have the honor of serving under an incredible senior pastor. And just really feel like that for Jill and I, we, we found home forever. And they're, they're in Sweet Home, Alabama. So if you ever get a chance to come by, we, we'll take care of you. We eat a lot of barbecue. We watch American football. I know that's not, not that big a deal to you guys, but we would, we'd love to have you down. And again, so honored to be here. And if you want to just open your Bibles, I want to share with you today uh, a message that I'm, I'm really excited to share. And I sense in my heart that, that, that no matter where you are in your journey with God, that there's something in this message for all of us. And that's what I've been praying, in fact, during worship, just praying that all of our hearts will be open today to what God has to share with us and what he wants to do in our lives. And so Acts 17, we'll get there just in a moment. But I want to start out with a question. I think questions are great because they kind of they grab all of us. And this is a question, again, that I think is for anyone in the room. And so I don't know if you are you know, close to God today. Maybe you would say, you know, if I was to sit down one-on-one with you, with a cup of coffee, we would start talking. You would talk about your journey with God, and you would say, you know, I've never been closer to God than I am right now. And if that's you, we are so glad you're here, and we're so glad that's where you are in your journey with God. Some of you might be the exact opposite. You may say, I've never felt further away from God. And there may be a lot of reasons for that. Maybe you haven't been around church a lot, and if you're here for the first time, again, we welcome you. We're so glad that all of you are here. Maybe you say, I just feel like, you know, I've never, never had that relationship. Or maybe you felt like you did have it in the past, but you feel like you've drifted away. That could be a lot of us here today. Just some things have happened in life, or you've just kind of been on the journey, and you just, you, you know, I, I was close to God, but I'm not so close now. There may be some of you who are confused about the things of God. I know we're dealing with that a lot in this generation when we talk about God, even in a place like Alabama, which is kind of known as the Bible Belt in America. A lot of young people, and even a lot of older people that, don't, don't, don't really know what they believe about God. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you have some confusion or maybe some frustration, maybe even some anger in your heart because of things that have happened. So I don't, I don't know where you are. I do want to reflect on one thing. We're all somewhere on the journey with God. I don't know where you are, but I want to say this. This question is for all of us. So write it down if you're taking notes today. Here's our question of the day to kind of frame our talk, and that is this. How am I going to fill the void? How am I going to fill the void? Some of you are like, that is a crazy question. I got this question about a year ago from a quote that I read, and it's just been resonating in my heart. A guy named Pascal said this. He says, there is a God-shaped vacuum or void in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the creator made known through Jesus Christ. What he is saying right there is this, and it's true, that in the heart of every person on planet Earth, there is a vacuum, there is a void that is there. And there is only one thing that will ever fill that void, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. And how we fill that void in, as we go through life, for a lot of us, looks a lot of different ways. And I, I, that's what we're really going to talk about today. There's a lot of things we try to fit into that void. But until we fill that void with Jesus Christ, that void will never be full. We'll walk through life feeling a lot of different things, trying to fill that void with a lot of different things. But only Jesus can fill that void. I love that in Acts 17, that Paul is, in, a, is in, the, in the city of Athens. And Paul is walking around Athens. And at this point during his ministry, Paul is, of course, he's been saved. He's now on his second of three missionary journeys. And Paul goes around. He basically is a church planter. He goes around and he visits different places. And, he, and he's in Athens. And in fact, he's even there by accident. He's not even supposed to be there. He was in another city called Berea. He got chased out. Paul's always getting chased out of one place, moving to another He's there for a few days, and he starts walking around, and he notices that in Athens, there's two groups of people. There's this one group called the Stoics. Everybody say Stoics. You probably have heard that word, and it's exactly what you would think of if you've heard that word. This was a group of people who were kind of very put together. 
You might even say they were religious, but their religion was in their, was in their self. It was in their effort. Their religion was all about doing the right thing all the time. It was what they could earn with their own hands. And they were, they were very strict. They had lots of different rules. And they were a group of people there in Athens called the Stoics. They were, they were always trying to fill the void in their life with what they could achieve with their own hands. And then he discovered this other group of people. And they were called the Epicureans. Everybody say Epicureans. Epicureans were like the complete opposite of the Stoics. So whereas the Stoics were trying to fill that void, I mean, we all have a void. You got to fill it some way. And the Stoics, were, they were trying to fill it with what they could earn with their own hands. The Epicureans, on the other hand, they tried to fill it with pleasure. And they were always chasing, you know, if it feels good, do it. They were always chasing more pleasure. In fact, they felt like the goal of life for their religion was how much pleasure you can get. The more pleasure, the better. And that was the, their attempt all throughout life was to live unrestricted, a hedonistic life. The more pleasure, the better. And so Paul's walking around the city and he notices there's these Stoics and he notices there's these Epicureans and they've built all these idols to support their religion, all in an attempt, just like all of us, to fill that void in our life. But in the middle of Athens, he notices that there's this one altar and it says this on the altar, it says to an unknown God. And Paul sees that and he recognizes no matter how hard they've tried to fill it themselves or chase pleasure, that void is still there. Isn't that true in our own lives? And he recognizes that because there's that altar. They've, they've been attempting with all their effort or with all their pleasure, and they still can't quite get there. And this is what Paul says. If you want to read along, I'm sure it'll be on the screen as well, verses 24 through 27. He just stands up and he begins to preach to these people. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples built by human hands. And I, just, I love this timeout right there. One of the greatest things we can do in our lives on a tough day when we're going through something is pause and reflect on the greatness of our God. Whenever we make our God big, our problems get a whole lot smaller. And Paul's lead in to these people who knew nothing about Jesus was, hey, you just need to know our God, the God I'm about to talk about, he's a big God. And he doesn't really need us. He's much bigger than us. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times. Time out right there again. I just want to reflect on that. None of us are here today by accident. You're not in Toronto by accident. You're not at City Church by accident. The Bible says your time has been marked out. Even the place that you, places that you would live have been marked out. That's how big our God is. And he says in verse 27, and this is the key verse we're going to reflect on today. He did all this so that we would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. I love this text. I love how Paul is speaking directly to their void, right into their situation. And I love how he reflects on the fact that it is the way God designed us and he set all these things up, even the time and the places we would live, so that there would be an opportunity for all of us to reach out to him and to fill that void with him. I think some of you guys think you were coming to church today. Hey, everybody, you got set up. <laughs> Your life has been a one big setup. And some of us have been very frustrated with the way life has been going, and that's the way God designed it. He will not let us find our completeness anywhere else. There will always be a void that only he can fill. And our God's an amazing God, and he has set us up with every opportunity to reach out to him. And when we do and find him, only then can we fill that void. Can I pray for us today? I want to reflect and dig into those truths. I think God's got something for all of us today. So God, we love you today. We thank you that you have set us up here today. And I pray in this moment, Holy Spirit, as you move in this room, that all of us, no matter where we are in our journey, however we have tried to fill that void, we would let you work in our lives today. God, we thank you so much for what you've already done and what you're going to do. 
In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. I love that our God has set us up. I don't know if you got, any of you guys have ever been set up on a birthday party, like a surprise birthday party. Anybody? Anybody have friends in Canada? Okay, maybe not. Maybe you got set up on a blind, on a blind date. That, those are always very uncomfortable. I got set up a while back. Uh, it was actually, interestingly, it was my wife. We were, we were dating at the time when she did this, but when I first met Jill, it was, it was love at first sight. I mean, we were, we were at a, a party one night in college. It was a Christian party, and we were hanging out. And, and then when she saw me, you know, I mean, you guys can re- reflect with me on this. When, when you know a girl's looking at you, and it's like, man, she, she is all about me. You know, like, I could just tell the first time Jill laid eyes on me. She was like, girl, quit trying to undress me with your eyes right now. It's like, leave me alone. In fact, it was the exact opposite, except the eyes thing. It was me looking at her. I was like, man, this girl is beautiful. And like, man, she's, she, this girl is awesome. And she would not give me the time of day. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. And I was trying to impress her. Like for the next few weeks after I first met her, I was always trying to impress her. I mean, I did some ridiculous things. One, one, time, one time we were hanging out with a group of friends and we went uh, camping up in the mountains near, near Birmingham where we live. And there was this waterfall there. And I don't know why, guys are like this. I thought if I jump off this waterfall, I will impress her. And she will fall in love with me. And so I get up there to the front of the line and I'm getting ready to jump off. But it's, you know, it's one thing to look at something up. When you get on top of something and look down, it's always a lot higher. Can y'all, can y'all attest to that, right? So I get up there and I'm like, man, this, this is really hot, but I've already committed myself. So I'm kind of standing there and I pause just for a moment trying to get the courage. When out of like the corner of my eye, I see this flash of lightning run past me and jump. And, it, and as, as this person jumps out and turns around, I realize it's Jill. She has run out and she has stolen my moment. And like she turns around, it's like there's, she like winks at me, like pauses in the sky almost. And like, there's like a twinkle in her eye and like goes down and I'm like, I'm, on both hands, I'm like really, really mad because I wanted to jump. And then I'm like, man, that girl is awesome. I want to marry you. You know, like she's going down. And so we end up, I finally, a few weeks after even that, I finally end up kind of catching her attention. We end up dating. And we've always just had a lot of fun. I mean, from the first moment we started dating. And one of the things we did early on was we were always playing practical jokes on each other and messing around with each other. And, you know, practical jokes normally start small and they go big. You know how it is, right? And the bigger they get, the crazier they get. I mean, it started small with like, you know, messing around with each other. And it, it, it ended up one night where me and some of my friends broke in their house in the middle of the night to scare them. That probably went a little too far. Anybody agree with that? Well, a few weeks after that, I'm sitting in my dorm or my apartment, hanging out with my roommate. His name was Big Dave. Big Dave was like, you know, six, seven, 350 pounds, Irishman. I mean, he's a big man, covered in hair. He's a big dude. And we're sitting there, we're playing, we're playing Xbox, and uh, my phone rings. This is a flip phone back in the day, right? Flip phone, answer it, and it's, it's Jill. And she's like, hey, um, there's some guys over here. She lived a few miles away. She's like, hey, there's some guys over here, and uh, they're getting really rowdy, and I'm, I'm real uncomfortable. And I'm like, you know, I'm playing Xbox. I, I don't want to, I'm, I'm busy. I, I'm like, can I, can I just pray for you? And like, you know, <laughs> Jesus' name, amen, hang up. Big Dave's like, who was that? I'm like, it was Jill. I'm like, nothing, big deal. Let's play, let's play Xbox. Like 30 seconds later, she calls back. Like her lead-in line was, are you a man? Do you have any manhood in you? I need you to get over here right now. I'm like, ah, oh, man, let's go. So I hang the phone up. I'm like, Big Dave, he's like, yes. I'm like, we got to go. He's like, where? And I'm like, we got to go to Jill's house. He's like, okay. Big Dave's that kind of guy, and I'm like, he's like, what are we going to do? And I'm like, well, there's some guys over there we may have to fight. Probably that's going to be you, not me. He's like, okay, <laughs> seek, destroy, Big Dave, kill. You know, it's like, we're not going to kill him, all right, Big Dave? And so we, we hop in the car, we're, and we're, we're driving over there, and as, you know, as we get closer, I'm like, okay, here's how it's going to go, Big Dave. I'm going to drive by really slowly. I'm going to let you hop out. I'm going to go park the car. 
I'll be back. You know, it's like, he's like, okay, got it. You know, like, all right, here it comes. And as we're getting closer to the house where, where she lives, my heart's starting to race. And we just pull onto her street. And as we do, uh, the lights from a car behind us kind of flash by. And right there in that moment, I mean, it was like caught my rearview mirror. I look in, in the back of my car. There are two heads with ski masks on rising up and one of them's holding a knife in my car. And I did exactly what you would do. I screamed like a girl and I slammed on the brakes. You know, slam on the brakes, middle of the road. I'm like, ah! Big Dave jumps out of the car. I've never seen him since. He's still running somewhere. And in that moment, as my heart is racing and I think I'm about to get killed, I hear the most just demonic and at the same time sweetest laugh I have ever heard. And it's Jill and her roommate in the back of our car. They had snuck in and got in the back the whole night. She'd been calling us from the back of my car. And I hop out of the car and I'm like totally frustrated walking down the street. And I just realized it was a setup. Like, and I start going through my mind. Like the whole night had been a setup leading up to that moment. And I'm mad, but I'm also kind of like mad respect. Like that was a pretty good setup. And it's like that. Check this out. When we get set up, what we realize after the setup is over that how we get set up is we were just focused on the wrong things. We were thinking it was one thing when at the, at the end of the day it's something else. If you want to write this down, I think this can connect to a lot of us today. I think Paul is speaking to the Athenians, and I think he really, he's speaking to them, but he's really speaking to me, and he's speaking to all of us. I think some of us have been going through life, we've been focused on the wrong things. And it's led us here, but I want you to know God's not frustrated with that. He's led us here for an opportunity. The setup has got us in the right place. We're at church today with an opportunity to reflect the first thing we need to reflect on is maybe the wrong things we've been looking at. And maybe for you, it's like those Epicureans. Write this down. We've been trying to fill the void with pleasure. Maybe that's where you are today. You've been living your life. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus and you've just kind of fallen back into some areas. Or maybe you've never known God and you're here today for the first time. And you can say, this is kind of how I've been living my life. I've just been living my life with that mantra. If it feels good, I'm going to do it. And I don't think it's because we are hedonists necessarily. I definitely don't think it's like we're the Epicureans where that's our religion. I just think for a lot of us, life is hard. And for a lot of us, we're carrying a weight. And pleasure, whether that be something we click on or something we drink or something we smoke or a negative relationship, whatever that might be, pleasure just seems like a way to relieve ourselves of the weight we've been carrying. The, promise is th- the problem is this. The pleasure promises a lot, but it always delivers less. It's, it's a it's diminishing return. We get there, and, and it doesn't fill any void in our life. We just need more. It comes in and goes right out. Isn't that true? And we just live our life always looking for more. Maybe that's where you are today. You've just been trying to fill your life with pleasure, that void with pleasure. Maybe you're, you're like the Stoics. I know I've been here before. And if you're like the Stoics, if we're like the Stoics, we're trying to fill that void with performance. Carrying the weight of the world. I, I feel this a lot in our generation with the pace of culture and the demands of work. You know, in the last 10 years that the stats say in, in North America, so be America, including Canada, which says that the, work, the average work week has grown by eight hours. And the reason is because we're not just working in the office anymore, right? We're working with email on our phones. We're text messaging all hours of the night. And those things are adding up. There's more and more pressure. Why do we do it? Because we feel the pressure to keep up. I mean, the competitive workplaces, jobs are not as easy to come by. Jobs are shifting and moving. Economies are changing. And there's just a pace that we're living in right now that's it's a hard pace. And we feel like to get to where we're going, we got to climb a ladder. With that mentality, a lot of times we're just trying to get there. And it's, it's, it's a never-ending journey up and more and more. And we're trying to earn. And maybe that's for you not as much about your performance. Maybe that's what your relationship with God looks like. I know for me, I grew up in a very religious culture. 
I don't know how that connects necessarily to this culture, but I think a lot of times we can carry a religious mindset when it comes to God that, man, I got to do something for God. Why would God give me anything unless I do this, 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 and this? And I can remember many, you know, years of my life, I thought, you know, the Bible and prayer and all those things were like a check, a checkbox. Like, if I don't check this off, God's not going to be happy with me in our whole life. And so my, my relationship with God wasn't very life-giving. It, it was almost exhausting. Maybe that's where you are today as it relates to performance or at work or maybe at school and Here's the thing, we believe the lie of success when we, that we think success leads to satisfaction. I heard Tom Brady, who is the quarterback for the Patriots, say this, and someone was asking him, how does it feel to be Tom Brady? I mean, you're married to a superstar, you got tons of money, you've won lots of championships. This is what he said, I've never forgotten it. It's on a 60 Minutes interview, he said this. How does, he, the, the interviewer asked him that, he said, how does it feel to be Tom Brady? And he just says, well, I just feel like there has to be more. Man, there's gotta be more than this. If he can say that, that can tell us that you go as far up that ladder as you want, and when you get to the top, it still won't fill the void. We try to fill that void with pleasure. We try to fill it with performance. Write this third thing down. We can only fill the void with a person. At the end of the day, the only way that void will ever get full in my life or in your life, and the only way we can live with that sense of completeness that God has designed us to live in is when we allow the person of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen in church today? The person of Jesus Christ to fill that void. And that's why I love verse 27. This, one is, this is how we'll kind of close today and you're reflecting on this verse. It tells us how. That verse 27 back in Acts 17 talks about how we've been set up. It says, God has done all this so that every person would long for him, feel their way to him and find him for he is the God who is easy to discover. He's the God who is easy to find. When we reach out for him, we find him. I love that first phrase right there. It says, you know, he has done this. God did this. What is that this? Everybody look at me. That this is you. It's your life. And every part of your life is intentional. I think sometimes we, we forget that because we so easily focus on the things we don't like about ourselves or maybe the things that make us different. For some of you, you're tall. For some of you, you're short. Some of you, you're somewhere in between, right? Some of us are athletic. I don't know where you guys are. I can't stand you guys are athletic. Or how about creative? Are you creative people? I'm, so, I'm not athletic and I'm not creative and I want to be both of those things. Maybe that's you today. You're, you're athletic or you're creative. Maybe you're just very analytical and smart. Maybe you're an introvert or an extrovert. Maybe you're funny. Maybe you're not as funny. You know, maybe I heard Pastor Brent tell me yesterday there's 51 different nationalities in this church. Isn't that, first of all, isn't that amazing that this church reflects the... But it's, it's very easy for sometimes for us if we're one nationality or we're one race and to feel very different if we're around another group. And it just sometimes we can go through life and you know, our list of what we don't like about ourselves is a whole lot longer than the list of things we do. You know, I think a lot of times our need for performance or pleasure is wrapped in what we don't like about ourselves. We're trying to, we're trying to fill the deficiency or the void of whatever it is we perceive. Can I tell you something today? Man, God made you just like you are. And you say, well, hey, I got some weaknesses. Welcome to the club. I want you to know today that those aren't accidental either. And I remember being a middle school student. That's when you really start feeling it, I, I think, how you're different. I remember looking around the room, and I was like, I wasn't the smartest. I wasn't the best looking. I wasn't the most athletic. And I can remember even as young, I wasn't even really a Christian, but I was praying at night. I mean, you know, God, why did you make me like this? And I kind of frustrated with God. And I, I actually can remember the sense in my heart of God looking back at me and saying, I didn't ask your opinion, Mark. I made you exactly like I made you. Can I say that to you today? God didn't ask your opinion. He didn't. Like, man, that sounds terrible because there's some things about me and we gotta reflect on 2 Corinthians 12, 9. It says that 
wherever we're weak, he's going to be strong, which means we actually don't have any weaknesses. <laughs> you say, when well, I have weaknesses, no, those are just opportunities for God's power to be made known in your life. It's all a setup, everybody. God has designed us where we cannot be complete without him. We're going to need his power to fill the areas of our life. But the cool thing is this, it's available to this. God did this. Everything about our lives is intentional. It's a setup. Why? So that we would seek him. That's the next part of that verse. And that, in the original language, the, the best definition of seek is the word longing or craving. Anybody ever had a craving? I, I thought I understood cravings. We have this restaurant called Chick-fil-A. I don't know if y'all know anything about that. So I thought a Chick-fil-A craving was as big as it got until my wife got pregnant for the first time. When she got that first pregnancy craving, that was a whole nother level. I remember laying in bed, you know, once, I'm the guy that once I get in bed, I don't want to get out of bed. Anybody relate to that? I'm laying there and Jill's, you know, she's so sweet. She kind of leans over and she says, hey, I'm, you know, so our, our first pregnancy, her first pregnancy, she's like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like I want some food. I'm like, hey, it's like 9, 9.30, 10 o'clock, I don't know, 10 o'clock at night. She's like, yeah, I just, I just, got, I just have a craving for some powdered donuts, you know, the white powdered donuts. And she said, and some, and, and a Dr. Pepper, which is a soda. And she goes, and some Doritos. I was like, girl, what is wrong with you? I was like, okay, babe, I'll go get all those things for you in the morning. <laughs> she was like, no, you will not get those, you know. <laughs> Check this out. A real craving can only be defined as something that demands to be completed, fulfilled. Like a real craving is something that it, until it's satisfied, it is consuming. Do you know God has made us just like that? That God did all of this so that we would seek him. We would have a craving in the heart of man. We are notorious for trying to fill that with pleasure or with performance. But it is a fruitless effort. It will only be completed. The, comp the craving will only be satisfied in the person of Jesus Christ. I love this this, this quote from uh, C.S. Lewis, he says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the only explanation is we were made for another world. Maybe that's you here today. You've even been around church or maybe you've been around the things of God or you've been trying to figure out what's going on. You just feel this sense of longing. Maybe it's in a quiet moment. Maybe it's, you know, oftentimes for me when I was younger, it would be like around a campfire or looking out at the ocean or just in a moment of reflection driving down the road or in a train when you're looking out the window and it's just like, man, something's not connecting. And God's like, yeah, until you let me into that place, that void, until you invite me in, that craving will always be there. And God is such an amazing God that he would set us up and bring us into moments like this so that we could reach out for him. And that's the next part of the verse. And this is, if God has a dream today or if God has a prayer today for this church service, it would be this, that perhaps we would reach out to him. Just love that language. God's done all this, but he doesn't force it. <laughs> he lets it always be our decision. Perhaps we would reach out for him. Now, that's a really threatening thought for a lot of us. I think about it this way. It's, it's kind of like if, if you're in that Epicurean camp, and I've definitely have been there where I've been trying to do some things or you know, seek and, and, and fill that void with pleasure, I probably have done some things I feel a little bit shameful about. That's the enemy, by the way. Always trying to condemn us, put shame on us, because he wants to keep us away from God. So when I say today you can reach out for God, maybe if you've been doing that pleasure thing, you feel like God's a million miles away. It's like back in that corner right here in the very back, as far back in the room. Maybe you feel like God's as far away from you as possible. And you're like, yeah, pastor, if I reach out, what good would it do? I mean, how much further, I, you know, how much closer I am if I do this? I mean, God's that far away. 
Can I tell you that's a lie of the enemy today? God's not a million miles away. For you, if you're here today and you've been trying to fill that void with performance, it's a different mindset. Carl, could you help me out? I miss my man Carl right here. Come on, come up to the front. Can you be God for a moment? I know that's, 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 that's a difficult shoes to step in, but you're going to stay right here on the floor, on the floor. If performance is your thing, I can really relate to this. This is how I felt for most of my life. When I thought there, when someone said, or when I had an opportunity to reach out for God, if Carl, if you would reach your hand out as far as you can. If, if Carl is God, I felt like if I reached out, even as hard as I tried, I would just be just almost there, but never quite good enough for God. So I don't know today if this is your experience, if it's pleasure and you feel like God's a million miles away, if it's performance and you feel like he's right outside of your grasp, but the truth of Acts 17 says this, neither one of those are true. Here's the truth today. If you reach out for God, he's right there. Come on, somebody. He is right there. Thank you, Carl. That's the gospel. That's the last part of this verse. It says that we reach out for him, we find him because he is not far from any of us. No matter what you have done, no matter what you have not done, no matter what foolish attempt any of us have made to fill that void with performance or with pleasure, we, it will always be a void, a craving that will never be fulfilled until we reach out and experience the person of Jesus Christ. And today he is right there, one reach away. And when we find him, it changes everything. The power of this in this moment is I sense God's presence here. But I want to make sure you know that this moment is the pinnacle of a bunch of moments that God has been working on in your life. God has set you up to be here today. Before we pray, I want to make sure you understand this is a holy moment for all of us. Some of you who are believers, you've drifted away today. This is your chance to reach out. Some of you who are on fire for God, you've never been closer. Guess what? There's more. You can always grow in God and he wants to take you deeper into the journey with him. And for a bunch of us here today who are far away from God, this is your moment. And it's a moment God has been believing for and shaping for a long time. To prove that, I got a story for you. This story just moves me. It gives me a lot of faith for my own life, how God has set all of us up. It's the story of a 16-year-old boy in Charlotte, North Carolina. This is many years ago. He was in a church service one night. He had gotten there on a journey like a lot of us. He, he was in that service because he was made to be in that service. He was 16, kind of just coming of age, and he'd grown up in a religious home with a very religious dad. In fact, a very hard dad, very unemotionally connected to him, but very religious and was always about works. And so most of his life was an attempt to do something good enough for his dad's love. And that same attempt to do that for his physical dad was reflected to his heavenly father. He just never felt like he could be good enough. And at some point, as he got to be 13, 14, 15 years old, as he tells the story, he was like, forget this, I'm not gonna try anymore. And no one in his home knew it, but he began to live a rebellious life. He began to do crazy things on the weekend. And he's like, I was just looking for pleasure. I would do anything that was in front of me that just helped me feel pleasure. And that night in that church service, he stepped into there only because he was made to be there. In fact, he said it this way. I was there just, I sat in the back row. I was there just to make fun of the preacher. And what he didn't know is that 150 years before that church service, there was a man named Edward Kimball. And none of you have ever heard of Edward Kimball. He was a man who lived in Chicago who led a Sunday school class of, of teenage boys. And in his group, there was a young man named Dwight who was just kind of a fringe guy in the group. He was never really in, came from a very impoverished background and he just really never connected. So 
Dwight would pray for these young men. And, you know, one day he said he was up in his kind of prayer, prayer room in his office at home praying for his entire small group, his entire Sunday school class. And that young man, Dwight, was, I think, one of seven in his group. He just was felt led to pray for him and felt led to step out of his office and go find him. And he walked down the street. Dwight worked in a butcher shop. He, went, he said, I felt so weird because I, I just felt like God had sent me to tell him something. So we went and found him in the back of a butcher shop. And all he could say was this, Dwight, I just, I just need to tell you today that God loves you. And that boy who had been so distant right there in the back of a butcher shop kneeled down and they prayed together and he gave his heart to Jesus Christ. That young boy, Dwight's name, as we know it, is D.L. Moody. He would go on to be what many believe is the greatest evangelist of all time. He was led to Jesus by a Sunday school teacher in the back of a butcher shop. And through D.L. Moody's ministry, a young man named Frederick Meyer, a few years later, who was an author, came to know Jesus Christ. Frederick Meyer's life was radically changed and he went on to lead a man named Wilbur Chapman to Jesus. And Wilbur was called to ministry himself and so he began to travel and speak. And in one of his revival services many years later, this is three generations now from Edward Kimball, a man named Billy Sunday who was a baseball player and the Major League Baseball player gave his heart to Jesus Christ. Billy Sunday was on fire for God, kept playing baseball but used his platform for God. And one night through, uh, through Billy Sunday's ministry, a group of men in Charlotte, North Carolina, who attended one of his revivals, got a passion and a fire for their city. They begin to pray every single week for Charlotte, North Carolina. They begin to believe that God had a revival. Come on, you got a belief that God has a revival for Toronto? I'm telling you, it's birthed in prayer. And they prayed for years, but they didn't see it with their eyes. And so what they did is they said, hey, we're gonna throw this revival service. We're gonna invite the whole city to it. And so they, they got a guy named Mordecai Ham to come and preach. And it was on the last night of that revival in Charlotte, North Carolina, with Mordecai Ham preaching that this 16-year-old boy I told you about at the beginning walked into the back row of a church. A young man who had been seeking pleasure, he'd been seeking performance, but he had a void that nothing else will fill. He came there to make fun of the preacher, but somewhere in the middle of that service, come on somebody, the Holy Spirit started working on his life. He thought he was there to make fun of the preacher, but before he knew it, he was out of his seat. And his name, as you know it, and I know it, is Billy Graham, that 16-year-old boy, Billy Graham, walked an aisle and gave his heart to Jesus Christ. And Billy Graham at 16 years old had no idea what he was going to go on to do. You may have ever heard of Billy Graham. All he knew is this. I have a void that only Jesus can fill. He had no idea for 150 years God had been setting him up. Preacher after preacher, moment after moment. He thought he was coming to church. He was stepping into the biggest setup of his life. God had set him up for a moment in his presence that changed everything that is to come. Look me in my eyes right now before we pray. You're sitting in that same kind of moment. You have no idea the lengths God has gone to to get you in this room today. And his heart is for you to respond to whatever it is he's calling you to, to know this. If you reach out, you will find him. Can I pray for you today? Every hip out, every eye. Thank you for your support. If you want to connect with us, you can find us online at thecitychurch.ca. 